Let's open our Bibles to Proverbs 6, and I'm going to say a very short prayer and find James 1 in the New Testament. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for a community of people that love Jesus and, Lord, want to see our world influenced with the gospel. Lord, we thank, we thank you we can do this every week. Lord, it may be the last time we ever do it, where we sing of your love and grace, and, Lord, maybe one day you'll take us home. And heaven will be reality, and this fallen world will cease. Lord, that's your plan. But Lord, while we're here, Lord, transform us in the image of Christ. Show us our portion in this life. We thank you that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We thank you that you can speak to us, that we have relationship. And we're excited about all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. We're right in the middle of a series called Soul Killers. Uh, the idea of the series came out of uh, Proverbs chapter 6. I want to read verse 16. It says, there are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. And then we get the list. Proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. And I've been sharing the last couple of weeks that not only do we harm others when we walk in these things, but we wreak havoc on our souls. We don't walk the way God intended us to be. See, God desires that we would have an awakened soul, a vibrant inner world. The metaphor I've been trying to use comes right out of Psalm 1, where we have that image of a tree. God wants us to be a congregation of trees. Trees are steadfast, they're immovable, they're strong. They can bear through seasons, they bear fruit. They give shade to others. That's God's plan for your life and my life. God wants us to have that inner world that's healthy. The tree is drawing resources from the streams of living water uh, that run by its sides. It has deep roots and a deep foundation. The series is really about Christian character, what God wants us to become. And one thing I want to say about Christian character, and this, this could be eye-opening to some, is you do not receive Christian character at conversion. I hope you all understand that. Conversion is a wonderful thing, and, and it's why we're here. We want to see everyone converted, God at the center of their lives. But the day you get converted, you found forgiveness, and the potential and a reservoir of truth and the flow of the Spirit was all made available to you, but you are not a person of Christian character at your conversion. That's a process. That's a lifetime of walking with God. <coughs> Excuse me, remember Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, right? Maybe he was from Scotland or something, I don't know. But Zacchaeus one day wanted to see Jesus, so he climbed into a tree. And Jesus comes and he says, Zacchaeus, you're coming to my house today. And I believe Zacchaeus was converted. He said, Lord, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to make restitution. But he did not have Christian character. Again, that would come over time. The scripture says, by the renewing of our minds... When the scriptures become part of our being, when we're washed by the water of the word, we become, as the psalmist says, people that can raise their hands and say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless your holy name. That we can love God, spirit, soul, and body. See, God desires truth in the inward parts. Why? Because it's all about relationship. Religion wants us to fix everything on the outside. Jesus saved his harshest words for the religious leaders who were washing the outside of cups and they were acting a certain way in front of the crowd. They were wearing a mask. The hypocritos, the actors. We had an actor on stage today. Religion has forced people to live one way and act another way in different settings. And that, again, will wreak havoc on your soul. 
There are activities, relationships, and attitudes that will numb your soul. It will detach you from the flow of the Spirit in your life, the Spirit's involvement in the things that He wants to accomplish. And some of what we're doing becomes like chaff. Instead of becoming that strong tree, steadfast and immovable, we're just like the debris of wheat, just blown this way and that way. Uh, I wanted you to see this in the New Testament, so I asked you to turn to James. James was the half-brother of our Lord, grew up with Jesus, lived with him for 30 years. He writes probably the most practical book of the New Testament. If you have a long commute on a train or you fly regularly and you're looking for a Bible book to read, read the book of James. It's the Proverbs of the New Testament. Very familiar verse, James 1, verse 5. Uh, If anyone lacks wisdom, that's me, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach to all that ask, but let him ask in faith without doubting, for the man that doubts is like the wave of a sea. Again, a metaphor driven and tossed by the wind. You, You can picture that in your mind. For not let that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. Here's why. He's a double minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. Now, James says this again in chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and weep. Let your laughter, be turn, your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, let me tell you what James is not saying. James is not saying that a Christian who doubts is living in deep sin and God's not going to answer your prayers and you're like this ship being tossed by the sea. All Christians have doubt at times. Think about it. We live in a fallen world. There's fiery darts of the enemy that come at us every day. We have flesh, right? So so we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. That's going to produce doubt some of the time. The beauty is we can take thoughts captive, right? Those doubts come. We have the mind of Christ. We have church, uh, great books are written, and, and we can overcome those things. James isn't saying that, so give yourself a break this morning. But here's what he is saying. Uh, he's saying that we can live with a divided soul. Now, think this through with me. Uh, the word for uh, double-minded here that James uses is despachos, which the latter part of the word is where we get psyche out of. Psychology is the study of the soul. James is saying a double-minded man, remember the mind's part of the soul, is somebody with a split soul or a fractured soul. Uh, We hear this all the time in our culture when people say, my life's falling apart, it's splitting at the seams, I can't get anything under control, everything's falling to pieces. Christians can get in this place where they have fractured souls. There's one side of you wants to be God-honoring, love God, keep his commandments, and there's another side that's willing to, to rationalize when things get difficult and go your own way. In Psalm 6, three of the seven things the Lord hates have to do with the mouth. Lying, dishonesty, slander, and gossip. The writer of Proverbs is well aware of the power of words. More Proverbs are devoted to human speech than any other aspect of life. There's about six or seven Proverbs that talk about uh, the negative things that can happen with our speech and then the positive that can happen. Proverbs 18.21 really sums it all up, where the writer of Proverbs says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now Jesus took it one step further. Jesus said, words don't have power. There's something else going on. In Matthew 12.24, Jesus said, Of the abundance of the heart, 
The mouth speaks. The idea here is, if you're a gossiper, you don't have a mouth problem, you have a heart problem. If you're a slanderer, you don't have a mouth problem, you have a heart problem. And the good news is, Jesus came to heal hearts. He really did. See, we're all going to struggle somewhere on this continuum. The beautiful thing is, we have feedback, we have the word of God, we have close friends, we live in community. God wants to see us change, he wants our hearts to be made whole. He wants truth in the inward parts. Now, I've read a lot of studies this week, uh, far too many than I should have, a few hours reading these. I don't want you guys to think I'm a slacker during the week, so I do read a lot. And uh, every major study on dishonesty reveals basically the same information over and over again. Here in America, studies reveal 91% of all Americans lie regularly. They don't just lie, they're pretty consistent in their dishonesty. James Patterson and Peter King have written a book called The Day America Told the Truth. Listen to their findings. 58% of us, 58% of us lie to our best friends. So when someone sends you a text, you're their BFF, they're going to lie to you 60% of the time. 59% of us, percent of us lie to our kids. A whopping 69% of us lie to our spouses. Jack Nicholson theology, they can't handle the truth, so we lie in some form or another. 73% of us lie to siblings, 86% lie to their parents. I was at a shepherd's conference that John MacArthur did years ago. He said something so profound. He probably didn't think it was profound. I did. Where he said, tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., if everyone in America started telling the truth, the country would dissolve. Now think about that. You know, we're in a political season, right? you imagine the lies that are told in Washington? You know, read my lips. I never had sex with this woman. That's just what we see, right? What about Wall Street? What about your home? What about schools? I really believe that if everyone started telling the truth tomorrow, it would be greater than any recession we've ever seen. The big question is, why are we dishonest? Why do we lie most of the time? Well, some of it's common sense. We lie because we move up the ladder a little bit. There's gain involved, whether it's money, power, position, we avoid circumstances. Remember Joseph's brothers when they threw him into a pit? They came back to their father and they lied. They, they got themselves out of a jam. Uh, your worldview is critical here because secular people, scientists, philosophers, evolutionary psychologists will tell us that it's in our brain, right? The answer to everything, it's in your genes, right? Uh, fight or flight mechanisms, survival of the fittest. Uh, we just protect ourselves and there's something in our brain. The Bible couldn't be more clear on this. There's no ambiguity. There's, there's no gray on this one. Psalm 58.3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Jesus said to the religious leaders, You're of your father the devil. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he's a liar and the father of it. See, we were born on the wide road to destruction. We had a baby dedication this morning. That baby was so young he couldn't say a word, but when he can, he will lie eventually. Why? Because he's a sinner. He was born with Adam's sin. He was born on the wide road. We've got to make the decision to get on the narrow road. The beautiful thing is there is a great God in heaven who loves us, that wants to come into our lives. He wants to refashion us. He wants to awaken our souls. We can be born again. We can see all things become new. We can have a new man. Now I was lost and I was found. All the imagery of scripture. 
All the potential that God would have us. We can be trained to the good. That's what character is, trained to the good. In fact, you know what else all these studies reveal? Outside of the fear of getting caught, do you know why people are honest? If they had some moral training or a consistent moral training along the way. There's an old joke that bears this out of a guy who goes, lost his bike in front of a synagogue. So he goes into the rabbi and he tells the rabbi his bike was stolen and he asks for advice. And the rabbi says, look, come to services next week. It's going to be a part in the services where we stand up and read the Ten Commandments. When we get to thou shall not steal, turn around and the person that can't look you in the eye, that's your man. So the guy comes back the next week, goes through the service. The rabbi is very curious to see if his advice worked. And he comes up to the man and he said, hey, did it work? The guy goes, like a charm. He said, you know when you were reading the Ten Commandments? Well, when you got to that point about thou, not shall, thou shall not commit adultery, he goes, then I remember where I left my bike. <laughs> yeah, some of you will get that later today. But the idea is we could be trained in this. I had somebody after the first service say, Pastor Bob, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Listen, that's what we're trying not to do. That's religion. Religion is to get on a treadmill and try, 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 try. I can't run a marathon. I'm pretty sure if I trained, I could probably do it. See, it's a matter of trying versus training. God doesn't want you to try, 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 get more spiritual elbow grease. He wants you to be trained in these things. Paul said, I labored among the Galatians until Christ be formed in them. Paul was laboring. It was hard work. So, for the rest of our time, I want to walk you through the five tendencies of people with integrity. Five tendencies I've observed. The first one is this. People of integrity are oriented towards truth. doesn't mean they tell the truth all the time. They're oriented towards truth. Those of us who are Christians... Follow the one who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was the way to God. He was the truth of God. He was the life of God. Because Jesus was full of truth, he had the ability to do something that we almost never do right. And that's what Ephesians tells us, to speak the truth in love. Jesus could have boatloads of compassion for people that were suffering and hurting, sinners, tax collectors, you know all those. But he could also come to a woman who had a very difficult life, who was estranged and socially an outcast, and sit with her at a well and say, you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with now is not your own. And that might seem harsh had Jesus not told her before that, that man, you could have a life where there would be a stream of living. You could be whole, Jesus was telling her. No matter what your past is, you can have a vibrancy, a flow of the Spirit in you. Rivers of living water. And then he told her that her relational world was kind of upside down. See, that's speaking the truth in love. Seven churches of Revelation. Jesus gives them accommodation and then tells them what's lacking. Here's the truth about truth. Number one, we all really would rather have the truth, right? You know, people that work out in the world and there's bad communication where you work... They always say they feel like mushrooms, right? At work, I'm put in the dark and they feed me manure from time to time, you know? No one wants to live that way. If I'm underperforming, I probably want to know it. If I'm not good enough, I want to know it. If there's something I need to change, I want to know it. You know, we might not like the truth, and the scripture says the truth isn't pleasant for a season, but we'd all probably rather know the truth. That's why a reflective life is so important. And again, this is probably the second time I'm going to say it, and you're going to think, When you see me, you're going to 
take your earbuds off real quick. But the earbud generation bothers me. When I get in my car, I like to think. I don't want to drown out my inner world with rappers and rock stars and predominantly lost people. I don't even want another message. Sometimes I want to talk to my soul, right? I want to, I want to, I want to hear what's going on in my inner world. Second thing about truth is, we've all figured this out, usually the consequences of lying are worse, are worse than if we just tell the truth up front. It's always the way to be. Remember our parents, they catch us in something and they, they knew we were guilty. And they would come to us and say, look, you need to fess up now because if you fess up now, the punishment will be worse than if I find out you're lying. If I find out you're lying, you're going to your room till you're 30, you know. You don't lie around here. The biblical example of this is King Saul. If you ever want to do a fascinating study, do a study on Saul versus David. Just two different souls. King Saul was the first king in Israel. There's this glorious day where Samuel comes to anoint him with oil, and Saul's nowhere to be found. And finally, they go searching, and he's in the cloakroom. He's in the closet area. Now, we're in a political season where they're spending millions of dollars, right? And there's focus groups on you wear a blue tie, a red tie, a polka dot tie, right? All... Can you imagine whoever is elected president of the United States, it's time to put your hand on the Bible and the guy's in the cloakroom? So Saul looks like a humble man. He looks like the right guy. And then Samuel gives him a simple task in 1 Samuel 15. He, Samuel says to, to Saul, he said, you know, God's going to judge Amalek. So I want you to go there and I want you to kill every man, woman, infant, nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, donkey. Leave nothing. That was the command. And then Samuel shows up to see if Saul would obey. And Saul, Samuel comes to Saul and he says to him, that's what Saul says, Oh, blessed are you of the Lord. I've performed the commandment of the Lord. So glad you're here, Samuel. Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, Oh, those, they were brought here uh, from the Amalekites by the people. The people did this. They didn't spare the sheep and the oxen. And by the way, we're going to sacrifice it to God. Have you ever heard that line before? Oh yeah, I overreached. You know, I got this subprime mortgage. I bought this giant house, but it's going to be a ministry house. You know, we're going to, going to serve God with it. People did it. Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king of Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission. He said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. Fight against them until they're they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And gone on the mission in which the Lord sent me and brought back Agai, king of the Amalekites. And I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder, the sheep, the oxen. The best things which would have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord God at Gilgal. And Samuel says these amazing words. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord. And to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. When you were small in your own eyes, Samuel, Saul, God could do great things through you. See, Saul was on this pattern. 
And, and the scary thing is he starts spinning and he starts selling. And, and the fallout of a dishonest life and of someone who has no integrity is they begin to deceive themselves. This is remarkable to watch. And it's really remarkable to watch in the church. A couple that knows God has built in for sexuality the parameters of two people in holy matrimony. Come to me. Pastor Rob, you don't understand. We are actually living together because you don't understand. This is the greatest recession since the Great Depression. And financially, there's no way anybody can make it. You just don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand. I lived six years in basement apartments. Kept my wife home. Wondered how we'd ever make it. I don't know. I knew this. I knew that God's word was either true or it was a lie. God said, I'm not a man that I should lie. And I figured if I'm going to stake a life on this Bible, then I'm going to see if it's really true. And God has never been my debtor. And I can look back now at the rearview mirror of life and say, I don't know how it all worked out, but it did. The God will never forsake us. There's nothing that can separate us from him, no famine or sword. He's not going to leave his children without bread. But Pastor Bob, you don't understand. I run a small business. And if you don't cheat on your taxes, you can't survive in this environment. Or Pastor Bob, I fudge on my expense account because they don't really don't pay me enough, so I'm just evening it out a little bit. Rationalization or oriented towards that will just deaden your soul. God wants us to be oriented towards truth. Jesus said, my word is truth. Numbers 23, 9, God is not a man that he should lie. Remember last week I said God was the most humble being in the universe? He also has the most integrity. Let me ask you a question this morning, real loud. What is this? Yeah, every first service, everybody said a banana, and you should, right? It's really not a banana, it's a banana peel. Once I peel it, there's a banana. But do you know why you said banana? Because every time you've peeled one, there's been a banana. Only in an alternate worldview do you peel a banana and get an orange after millions of years, right? But we won't talk about that this morning. God has integrity. Seed produces after its kind. When, when he judged the world in Noah's time, he said, after this Noah, there will be seed time and harvest. There will be summer and winter. In other words, God's not going to pull the rug out under us. Until the book of Revelation, until the time of judgment, God has built integrity into our world. That's why scientists love their disciplines Because it's empirical, it can be proven out. Why? Because the God they don't even believe in most of the time has integrity. People of integrity are oriented towards the truth. Number two, people of integrity connect authentically with each other. This is very important. We're all called to live in relationship. All relationships are built around trust and trust is built over time. Uh, Let me draw something for you and I know not everybody can see this. But uh, let's look at these three circles, okay? Everybody has a spiritual life. So if you're here today, you're probably a Christian, you love God, you read the Bible, maybe you go to a small group. Uh, You have a world centered around a Christian worldview. Then you have a relational world. Married, children, maybe you go to school, you have friends, co-workers, you're in a hobby. Whatever you do, there's people you relate to in the world. And then we all have a vocation, something you do to make a living, or why God put you on the planet, whatever you do most of the time. And the idea here is these should be integrated, right? Integrated means towards the whole. The idea is when I'm in church, I'm really no different than I am at home or where I work. 
I'm the same person wherever I go. I don't put a mask on in my relational world, in my vocational world, and then I'm somebody else at church. Now, religion's forced us into that. But God wants us to be integrated people. The word for, for hypocrites, which people think we are, hypocritos is an actor. We had an actor today on the stage. He, he's not a liar, but he said he was because he's an actor. And a lot of times Christians say there's something that they're not. The greatest example of someone who was, who was so sincere, so transparent in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. He wrote a third of the New Testament. Sp- Paul spoke of his failures and successes with greater authenticity and sincerity of, of most anyone I've ever read. He said he was a violent and insolent man. He said he had zeal without knowledge. He said he was murdering Christians. He said Christ came to die for sinners, of which I'm the worst. Even when he gave us his resume, born of the tribe of Benjamin, blameless concerning the law, a Pharisee, said it was all rubbish, that he might know Christ. Now, I don't think Paul was self-deprecating. I don't think he had false humility. I think Paul was sincere. Paul was saying, look, this is my life. It's an open book. Here's what's beautiful. God took this man's raw personality, gifting, whatever you want to call it, and he changed the world. God knew Peter was a part of it, so were the apostles, but no one would be like this man. Paul, at his conversion, didn't launch out in the ministry. He went into Arabia for a season. He met with the elders of Jerusalem. Number three, people of integrity have the ability to engage, embrace, and deal with the realities of life. And the realities of life are, you're going to hit rough patches. Peter says, don't count it strange when the fiery trial comes upon you as though it were some strange thing. So we have the word trial once and the word strange twice. Why? Because every time a trial comes, what do we say? I can't believe this is happening to me. This is so strange. I love God. I go to church. I tithe. I, I, I can't believe it. And Jesus said, in this life you'll have tribulation. Man is born in trouble as sparks fly upwards. It's just going to happen. But there's a great God Proving himself through your trials. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the integrity of the homes or the lives that were being built, the integrity of those homes couldn't be proven until a storm would come. Last thing we want to be is Christians who quote God's word and we go to concerts and we high five each other and we love God while it's good. And then when it gets difficult, we start to rationalize and we start to spin and we start to go our own way. Pressure reveals who you really are. Doctors will tell you that, that when you have something wrong in your body, like a toothache, you become more aware of another problem. You know, pressure brings out things, and it brings things to the surface, and under pressure, it's who you really are. Uh, Joseph is one of the stellar men in all of Scripture. He has this amazing dream. God's going to do great things through him. His brothers don't like it, so they throw him into a pit. Lied to their father that he was mauled by an animal. He gets sold into slavery. And, uh, you know, things are going bad for Joseph. And in a foreign land, he works his way up the ladder, and he becomes steward over a man's house named Potiphar. Potiphar would be like a governor today. And one day when Potiphar's on a business trip, his wife comes to Joseph and says, lie with me. Now, Joseph, you know, any other guy would think, geez, I'm in a foreign land, bad things have happened to me, my ship's just come in. This is the day I was waiting for. 
He doesn't say that. He said, how can I sin before God and man? Potiphar wasn't even there. And where was the God who let Joseph be sold into slavery? See, Joseph had integrity. It didn't matter who was there. He had integrity with himself. There was wholeness in his being. He goes to prison. Helps the butler get out. The butler forgets about him. His life continues on this spiral. And then you know the rest of the story. He saves a nation and God does great things through him. John Maxwell, successful author, writer, Christian, said successful people take away from difficult experiences and they learn from them. They fall forward. Unsuccessful people take difficult experiences and they just leave it behind. And therefore they just keep committing the same mistakes over and over again. A person of integrity... Again, just draw three other circles. Can go through good times, bad times, and challenging times. And still see the hand of God in all of them. Fourth thing is people of integrity are oriented towards growth. This is going to be a strange one for you. You say, Pastor Bob, how in the world could integrity mean anything about growth? I'm going to talk about it almost the whole time next week. Uh, Read Jesus' parables. He told a lot of parables about talents and investing gifts. Um, And when Jesus told these parables, the emphasis was on not having all the same gifts. Some have one, three, five. We were all given different gifts and talents. One day you'll give account only for yours. So stop looking over the hedge. But Jesus said there are those who bury them or they just maintain and they're foolish. There's others who are wise. They're growers, entrepreneurial in their spirit. They understand healthy things grow. Now, we've just lived through, as I said, probably the greatest recession in most of our lifetimes. I've lived through a couple, but this is the greatest one since the Greatest Depression. We still live in the richest country in the world. Um, But a person with limited character through this time, listen, losing a job is horrible. Being a middle manager, those are devastating things. They really are, and I have all the compassion in the world for those people. I also understand that a person who's wholly integrated says, okay, bad things happen. We live in a fallen world. Maybe God's redirecting. Maybe I'll go back to school. Maybe, maybe I'll launch into ministry. Maybe I'll do something I've always wanted to do. But because they have an integrated life, because they're industrious, because they have discipline, drive, and passion, they'll see God's hand at work. Craig Rochelle wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. I love that title. And the idea of the book was we're Christians, but so many ways in our In the way we conduct our lives, we act like we're atheists. You lose your job in a recession, and you whine and complain. And you blame God and others. You feel like a victim because we live in an entitlement society. And instead we say, wow, where might God's hand be in this? Right? Last time I checked, he's on the throne. Last time I checked, he could save me. Last time I checked, he owns a th- cattle on a thousand hills. Maybe I can't live the lifestyle I've always lived, but there's a God who's walking beside me. And finally, number five, people of integrity are transcendent. And this might be my most important point. People with deep Christian character understand it's not all about them. See, we've all been brainwashed by culture, by Madison Avenue, by the ads we see. It's all about me. Every room you walk in, you're the customer. You have the money, and they're not going to speak into your lives. It's all about you. You've been trained that way. 
But now we're being retrained. Now the Bible's retraining us. The word of God's going on us. And the first thing we understand is, listen, this deal's transcendent. What does that mean? It means there are issues in this world bigger than my dreams, ambitions, needs, and wants. There's a big world out there. There's pandemics. There's people suffering and starving. A billion people don't have clean drinking water. There are spiritual forces at work. There are national things going on. There's nuclear proliferation. That's why we encourage people to go on missions trips. Get out of your comfort zone. Grow yourself. I was in the Bronx this past summer. I've been to the Bronx four times since Sarah Fraser's been here. But spending a week there really messed with my mind and soul. Probably because in New York, everything is to scale. It's one thing to see poverty here. It's another thing to see it on such a grand stage. And you go places like that, and it's not only that people are poor. It's, it's the injustice of politics and policies and entitlement for 100 years. The sin of slavery, and it goes on and on and on. And you're just undone. And you begin to realize that as people of integrity, we were placed here for more than just our needs and wants. That we're people of influence. The Bible says what you have received, we should be shouting from the housetops. God has used you and will use you, and he wants you to be a person of influence. He wants you to leverage your life for others while we're here. He wants you to run on all cylinders. Isn't that what we say when things are going well? You know, when we're living this integrated life where we realize we have fallen tendencies, but, but we've got feedback into our lives and we're oriented towards growth and we're oriented towards truth and we're walking in God's calling, we just wake up and we say, geez, I just feel like I fit in my skin. I feel like everything's hitting on all cylinders. And that's because you have a wholeness in your spirit, soul, and body. You have an inner world that's vibrant. You have an awakened soul. You're like the person in Ephesians who's walking circumspectly. We get the word circumference there. It means I can walk understanding the world around me. I understand why there's poverty. Jesus said there will always be poverty because there's fallen men running this world. I understand there's sickness and dying over here. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. I understand God's moving over here. I understand this is happening. I can see the bigger picture. I'm transcendent. And I understand there's a greater God working on my behalf. Saul, when you were small in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribe of Israel? Humility is the indoor to character and a life with God. And the next thing is integrity. And because God's a God of integrity, you know what he told us? God told us, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of them. Do you know why he told us that? He didn't say, okay, have a Bible study, and if two or three show up, then God's there. But, you know, if you're by yourself, he's not there. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying was, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. Here's what he was saying. He was saying that if you have a conversation with a human being and sin is revealed to them and they come to an understanding of who Jesus is and they pray a sinner's prayer, you can tell them their sins are forgiven. Why would God leave that to us? Sounds prideful and boastful, no. Because God's a God of integrity. By two immutable things, the writer of Hebrews says that a God that cannot lie, these things are true. Therefore, God says, if you say it, you can be a minister of the new covenant. 
God doesn't lie. Whatever he says is true, and he says that heaven's in our future, and everything we do is prosperous. Listen, we're going to end the service by singing the song that was in the earlier set, but most of you are late, so you probably missed it. So, so we're going to sing this prayer about God, give us an awakened soul. Give us the capacity, God, to live the way you want us to live. So I want to call the worship team back. Everybody stand. Anybody not have breakfast?